Hello, welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship, a house of prayer for all nations in the middle of St. Paul, Minnesota. This has been quite a week in St. Paul, Minnesota. It has not been Lake Wobegon. Uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis, the Twin Cities has had a week like we've never had before, the last two weeks. And before that, we had a two months that felt like two years of uh, coronavirus, stay at home. Um, people were getting claustrophobic. Our grief for the things we had lost had started to turn into an anger about needing to get out, and people were starting to get angry. And then we had a flashpoint that probably all of you know about. And a man named George Floyd was kneeled on by Derek, another policeman, and said, I can't breathe, and died, was murdered. Um, eight and almost nine minutes, he was kneeled on by George Floyd while other officers stood by, and, and that has triggered a whole series of events, protests, and uh, then looters have come along with the protests, and everything I drove by from three and a half miles away in St. Paul to here, a lot of it was boarded up in University Avenue, boarded up because 170 businesses were looted and 55 fires in one night in St. Paul and Minneapolis. Uh, anyway, you guys have seen the news, and I don't have to say much about that, but I do want to talk to you about how you're feeling and what is God? Where is God in the midst of all this? And how can we respond to this in a godly and righteous way? And it's an impossible task to speak into that, but I'm going to try for a few minutes here. So let's pray. Lord, we ask you to speak to us in these few minutes that we have together. Our hearts are burdened and grieved. And we have so many emotions in us that we ask you to sort through our emotions and our thoughts and shine the light of your truth, your love, your word, your character, yourself. Enter into our pain, our confusion, our fear and anger and all the other emotions that are going on. Lord, we pray that you would step in now in this time as we talk together. Lord, as I... Just say a few words. I pray that you would speak something in the midst of that. We need to hear from you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm going to give you just my reflections and some thoughts as I've been brewing and stewing on this. And uh, I have uh, <clears throat> obviously watched way more, more news than I should probably and seen videos and tried to piece together what happened and, and, uh, and gone down University Avenue and, and seen all the way to the Capitol, seen all the boarded up stuff and the trucks and the, and the, uh, um, <clears throat> and, uh, it, it's, and you know, heard the sirens and was calling all people in the neighborhood. Um, and, uh, the tear gas things going off and everything. We, we just, it's been <laughs> quite a week, quite a two weeks. And, um, so, I just want to give a few reflections on that. Um, and I don't know what you're feeling right now. I, we, we all were feeling grief. And, and the grief over George Floyd not being able to breathe, which was preceded by grief over 100,000 people not being able to breathe because coronavirus had stricken their lungs and filled them with fluid. And uh, the uncertainty of all that. And then every night and every moment not being sure what was happening.
And then the anger, the anger at coronavirus, the anger at the lockdown, the anger at uh, looting, the anger at the police officers, the anger at the system, the anger at so much. And uh, where is God in the midst of all that? How do we relate to God? And what kind of God <laughs> in the midst of all that? So I want to take us back. I want to take us back to Genesis. And right in Genesis, God creates man and woman. He says, let us make them in our own image, in the image of the Trinity. And he breathes life into them. And with the Spirit of God enters their lungs and they receive the breath of life. And when people say black lives matter, what they're saying is black lives are in the image of God. Fully, completely. Now there's a lot of politics around that too. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they are in the image of God, equally, fully. And slavery required that we believe that they were not completely in the image of God so we could do what we, we did to them. And that feeling that black lives are not quite equal has remained in our systems. You know, individually, maybe we feel different, but there's a sense that black men are dangerous and guilty because of that history, and it remains. And uh, if you don't believe it remains, <laughs> ask some stories of people who, uh, who have experienced that. But we have that feeling. And, and those of us who are white do not have those experiences. We never question, we don't. My son, who is the same age, born on the same Mother's Day as Ahmaud Aubrey, does not worry about when he runs out for, goes out for a run whether somebody's going to corner him with shotguns and kill him like they did to him. That is not a thing that happens to him. So I just want to say right now that that is a different experience. This is the reality of our world and of our nation and of our state. Now, it's always felt like it was someplace else. You know, when I went, came to Nairobi right after the, uh, after the post-election violence and all that had happened there, the church there was questioning itself, how could we have gotten so pulled into politics that we killed each other? And they had a big searching time. And I, anyway, and you know, here it was always Chicago, it was New York, it was Detroit. But this was Minneapolis. This was St. Paul. We can't say it's out there someplace. What is going on in us? And this is a deep grief that we can't pretend is someplace else. Now, that's just <laughs> how I'm feeling. Now, now, what do we do when we, um, when we feel like... In a, that knee is on us. Now, I am going to say us a lot in this time, and I'll explain later, but basically, I think we have tried to maintain the illusion of control and tried to maintain the illusion that we are good people. We are Minnesota nice. We are good Christians. We, are, we don't have those problems that other people have. And the reality is that we do. The reality is that things are happening that we cannot just brush away. So I'm going to say we, because what I see happening is that we say, oh, those white policemen, those white people, the, the black community, why don't they stop the looting? The, oh, they're outsiders who came into our town. It's all outsiders who are looting. We have tried to push it away in every way possible to say it's not me, it's not us, but I want us to say us. First of all, I want us to say us and lament the fact that we have been held 
down. Now, if somebody is held down, is kneeled upon, is crushed in our system, in our nation, that is happening to all of us. And we need to identify with, in that video, that George Floyd who cannot breathe. Now, George Floyd had a rough start. He had, he played college basketball and, and had a, had some good things, but then he, you know, he was, he was, had some drug issues and whatever, but he also seemed to come to Jesus. He was, he was trying, I think. I don't know. I think he's in heaven because he was trying, but yeah, he got coronavirus. He lost his job and I, maybe he was drunk or high when, when that happened, but that's not the point. The point is he was in the image of God and that should not happen to someone who is in the image of God. Now, I don't think the police officers saw him that way. They heard there's a drunk guy trying to change a $20 bill. They heard, uh, when they got there, they, they saw his rap sheet before they um, got to him probably, and they decided this was not a full human being. This was, you know, I'm not going to say the words. <laughs> so um, we need to say we are in the image of God, all of us. And when we are being crushed, any of us, all of us are being crushed. And I, I want you to think about when uh, we, we did this series on, on the, uh, the cross and what happened. We talked about why was the cross so terrible. And we said the cross is so terrible. If we don't realize how bad the cross was, we don't understand the depths of sin and the depths of the powers against us. Now, this is a, is a window in Birmingham, Alabama, where there, was a, where there was a bombing that blew up some kids in Sunday school. And this was put in there, and I want you to notice that it says, you did it to me. Because Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you did it unto me. And they're saying that bombing, you did it to me on the crucifixion. And Jesus was under that knee. He experienced that because the powers, the government, all the rulers, they crushed him and snuffed him out. I tried to explain what a crucifixion was and how it snuffed out and made you just like an insect that was just being pinned up and naked and bloody and, and on display. And I couldn't explain it. But I think if you've watched the video of George Floyd dying, you've seen, you've felt a little bit of what a crucifixion feels like, that this person is not worth paying attention to. And that, I think, is what's really gotten people upset. It, and a crucifixion was a long ordeal. Just let them... And, and what happened was they couldn't breathe. They had to pull themselves up with the nails to be able to breathe until they ran out of energy to be able to breathe. And I can't breathe. Jesus said, it is finished. It was finished. Now, <laughs> and he said, Father, where are you? He cried out for his father, just like George cried out for his mother. And he said, where are you? Because God had forsaken him because Jesus had taken on our sin. So Jesus also experienced what it was like to have a rap sheet, what it was like to be Derek and have a rap sheet on the other side and, and to be angry and, and, and whatever was going on, callous to be able to just stay there. And Jesus experienced in that moment what it was like to carry that sin. So I want you to see, think about, we talked about two things. In this picture, there's two things. There is Jesus holding back the powers. Now, Jesus is set up kind of like a black man in a chain gang here. He, he, he's holding back the powers. When he died, he held back the powers, the powers of the government, the powers 
of society, the powers of Satan and the powers of selfishness and selfishness for our group that have crushed people. So in the Bible, when it talks about getting angry, God gets angry in the Bible. And when we get angry at things like that happening in an ongoing system and, and perpetuation of that, some of that anger is righteous anger. Justice must be done. Something, and the cry that these officers who could just take somebody for a $20 bill and arrest them immediately ought to be arrested immediately. People didn't get that. How could that not happen? And how could they not be held accountable? How could they have not been held accountable before? That was the questions that led to this protest. Some of the questions. Um, and I want to us to read that um, God gets angry. So when in Exodus, he, uh, he delivered people from the powers. He got angry at Egypt for killing the children of Israel the children, the, the babies, and, and he brought plagues and he got angry. And then the wind of his spirit blew open the Red Sea and allowed his people to go through. And then it blew back and covered the, ar the army of Pharaoh. The powers of all of Egypt, political, economic, spiritual gods of Egypt were destroyed because God was angry with the oppression that they were doing. And he delivered his people. And I want you to know, on the cross, God delivered us from the powers. He freed us from the powers by letting the powers crush him. Now, what Jesus did, what Jesus did was take the knee. Now, I got the frame set here, so I can't take the knee very easily, but can you still see me? <laughs> um, when I take the knee, you know, let's be honest. Tim Tebow uh, took the knee and we said, Let's play football. Don't worship God in the middle of a football game. And then uh, Colin Kaepernick took a knee and said, you know, I don't feel good about what's happening in America with police brutality. And we said, get on with the game. Respect the flag. What are you doing? And now we have, we're seeing that wasn't a good enough protest. It wasn't done the right way. He kept saying, it's, you know, patience and not the right way and do it a different time. And now we have a whole different thing. We have got to pay attention to the injustices and the problems in our society. And again, I do not know. I'm not pushing a particular answer. And let me tell you something. A lot of people are using this to push their particular answer and to put themselves as, I'd be a better power. Put me in power and then things will be better. Or those powers are, you know, blame the president, blame the governor, blame the mayor, blame the somebody because it's not me. I am not responsible. I'm a good person. In fact, I'm protesting because I am trying to hang on to my morality and my sense that I still am a good person and we still are good people. And folks, we are crushed by the powers and we need to recognize that. And Jesus died on the cross to save us from the powers. Now, God called these people to himself and they said, we are going to be your people and then he went up to get the Ten Commandments. And when he came down, you know, have you noticed that when you talk about loving your neighbor as yourself, we want everybody else to love us as ourselves. But it's really hard for us to love those people, especially that group, as much as we love ourselves. And we want those people to keep the Ten Commandments. We want, you know, do not murder, do not steal. We want those things to happen for other people. But when it comes to us or our people, we give a kind of a, 
well, you know, it's, it's understandable. It's, you know, explainable. It's, there was extenuating circumstances when it's about us. And so we can kind of explain away some looting and kind of explain away some, we talked about, wouldn't it be great to have a society where everybody kept the Ten Commandments all the time? Again, all the Ten Commandments have to go together. And it includes, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Let me tell you, folks, we in our society in America are a cut flower society. You know, you cut a flower and you put it in a vase and it looks beautiful for quite a while, but it's lost its roots. We want Christian ideals. We want Black Lives to Matter and an image of God to be true for everybody. And we want no stealing and no murder and no... But we don't want to worship God. And we do want to commit adultery or something close to it if we feel like it. And a lot of other things that we'd like to be able to do for ourselves. We don't want anybody else doing that. You know, I want to maybe play around with some sex, but hashtag me too. Don't you do that to me. Um, so we keep saying it's out there. So, all right. So when, when uh, um, God goes up, then he comes down, he, he gets angry because the people start to um, worship other gods. And they make a, a, Aaron helps them to make a god, a, a golden calf. And then he gets angry, and Moses pleads with him to, to not destroy them and wipe them out completely. But that's what they deserved. deserved. And he relents. He's a merciful God. And then Moses comes down, and he gets angry. And you know, this, I think, is righteous anger. He's angry the way God's angry at their despicableness. And when he asks Aaron about it, does Aaron repent? He says, don't get so upset, my Lord. Aaron replied, you yourselves know how evil these people are. You know, those people are really evil. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it in the fire, and out came this calf, just magically. Right, Aaron, nice try. We all want to just kind of skirt our responsibility and things and say, those people are evil. Um, but... When it comes back, um, Moses goes back up and asks to see the goodness of God, and he comes by and he says this, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger. Isn't it great that God's slow to anger with how terrible we are? But he does get angry. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Isn't it great that he forgives? But I do not excuse the guilty. And you see, we don't like that God has anger and he gets wrathful. We think, oh, be a nice God. But then when it came to this week, we were angry. We wanted the guilty to not be excused. Why is it that we can get angry and so righteously angry and God can't? Well, the truth is we know that God knows too much. He knows that we also have things that he could get righteously angry about. And we don't want to deal with those things. So what do the psalmists do when they get angry? Sometimes they get righteously angry with God and they... They cry out. They're, that's what these psalms of lament. So this is a great time for lament. Now, lament means to mourn. It means to cry out. 
And there are a hundred psalms of lament. Now, lament may not be the best. So the lament psalms are really psalms that are psalms, and they're set up in the way a court case is set up. They come and they say, you are the righteous judge. And here's my complaint. And please deal with it. And I know that you will. And, and those kind of sections of a lament psalm are, are typical. And a hundred psalms are psalms of lament. And they go to the just king. And they say, you are in control. And you are just. And I'm not getting justice. So I cry out to you, please do what's right. Please help me in this situation. And they cry out. Some national psalms of lament. Some individual psalms of lament. And they cry out to God and they say, please take care of our situation. Some of the hardest ones are the ones that say, we call them cursing psalms. Um, they say, kick in their teeth, cast them away, deal with them, break their arms. Now, those are hard to read. But if you've been in with us this week and you've been angry at some things, you can see where that anger comes from. When we're, you're not the oppressed, when you don't have a knee on you, it's hard to say, well, you know, be nice. Don't be so angry. Be, God, be nice. But when you have had that knee on you, you can get really angry. When you've seen your people have that knee on them, you can get really angry. And God is righteously angry. Now, what I like about those Psalms is they take their anger and they take it to God. They, they say, God, deal with this. And you know what? When you're there in front of the just judge asking for that, he can also say, and also this, I'd like to deal with, with you. And you leave it to him to deal with it. Now, that doesn't mean the, the courts shouldn't deal with it and other things, but you don't have to burn things because you're angry. You can let God, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and he does. He takes care of those things. He takes care of what is needed to be taken care of. So um, I almost preached a whole sermon this time about the cursing Psalms, and sometime I'll do that. But I just want you to notice that that's the... that. Um, God gets angry, and sometimes we get angry as well. But James also says, and you know, Jesus, let's give another example. Jesus comes into the temple, and he, he casts out the money changers. He tosses these away. He gets angry because they're not worshiping God, and they're keeping people away from God's presence. Jesus gets angry because of what's happening there. Now, James says, the wrath, the anger of men does not work the righteousness of God. So the reality is most of the time, our anger does not bring justice. Our anger does not do what we hope it'll do. It doesn't bring justice. Why is that? Because most of the time, our anger is about ourselves. We feel violated because my target got looted. We feel violated because my people got stepped on. We feel violated because... And, and, and then you can tell it's not righteous anger because of the way we project it on other people. And a lot of it is just trying to maintain that sense that I'm a good person. I'm angry because you're making me feel like not a good person. You're stepping on my people. And so it's really hard to disentangle what's selfishness and what's righteous anger. And I think it's okay to be righteously angered. I think there's been some righteous anger that's been happening. And, and I, as I've been doing a lot of analysis, there's real problems, corruption, racism in the Minneapolis Police Department. That's my belief from what I've looked up, and it's not there. If it was just there, we wouldn't have things happening all over the U.S. and around the world if it was just a Minneapolis problem. But it's an issue in Minneapolis and St. Paul and around the world. 
Um, and I know other places, it can be about caste, it can be about tribe, it can be about other things. Here, race is a big part of it. And we identify us against them. Police against protesters, protesters against police, white people against black people. And we, we do this us and them thing, but it's not an us and them thing if we really think about it. So, there are powers that are holding us down. And that is Jesus pushing back the powers by his crucifixion, calling them out as they crushed him so he could not breathe. He disarmed them and defeated them on the cross. Naked and bloody, Colossians 2.15 says, he disarmed the powers and authorities. The other thing he did was one of the powers and authorities that keeps us down, sin, society, Satan. Satan is one of those, society is one of those, but sin is one of the powers that crushes us. And sin is our own selfishness. And we needed to be forgiven for who we are. And you know what? That's the thing. I cannot look at what's happening to my city and say, they. I have to say, we. We have not done what we should. We have not paid attention. You know, I'll be honest. I didn't know there were problems in the Minneapolis Police Department. I didn't know Melvin Carter was coming to try to fix the, the St. Paul Police Department. I didn't know that because I guess it hadn't affected me. Um, I didn't do anything about it. And um, I, <laughs> I just want to say that, um, so, so there's this, this question of what do we do then about our sin, which is one of the things that's pressing down on us. And the reality is you can't only look at yourself as the person under the knee Whatever color you are, you're under the knee. I get it. But whatever color you are, you're also the one on top with the knee. The one standing by saying, I don't know. I don't see a problem. The one saying, you know, get off of him, but not actually doing something. We have to take responsibility for what we as a society have done. That's what really is crushing. Now, I don't want any fake white guilt that's going to be, you know, let me do a couple things and get over this. Let me go clean up the neighborhood and be better. Um, and, you know, there's been some good things. I, I, I loved, um, there was a clergy march in St. Paul um, to my neighborhood target from where my bike route is. And we were able to walk behind the African-American clergy and uh, as um, other clergy. And we were able to be, walk in silence and we were able to um, listen to their pleas and their prayers and their message to us and then go home without any white people talking at all. <laughs> and the mayor didn't even talk. I talked briefly to him when, and, I, and the uh, police chief was there and, and the National Guard, they thanked the National Guard for guarding our march down University Avenue. Um, that was a good moment for me because we were together as Christians praying and supporting one another. You see, this is going to take partnership between all of us, between the government and the, and the, the nonprofits and the education. And, and I, I appreciated Walls saying, you know what? The National Guard hasn't done it. We need the faith leaders <laughs> to stand with us. And he brought them all up to, and, you know, Pilgrim Baptist, he said, you know, at 8 o'clock tonight, go home and pray. And I know some people who went home and really prayed prayers that, Stop things on Saturday night. Specific prayers that were answered on Saturday night. 
um, different from Friday night. So prayer is one of the things, practical things we can do. So now, some of you are going to say, well, this is a personal responsibility thing. You know, that was a bad cop. Uh, he, was, he was just a bad apple. You know, Scripture says good trees don't produce bad fruit. And I don't think we can say there's just one bad apple. And uh, what we do need to do is graft ourselves into the vine of Jesus Christ so we produce better fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, so it's, a, yes, personal responsibility. People should be personally responsible and held personally responsible. There's also issues of policing and policy and politics and prejudice that must change. But how? And there's the principalities and powers behind all that. But again, how do we address that? So Jesus has forgiven us our sins. So we can ask him, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for our sins. Do you notice that he says, forgive us our debts? He doesn't just say me. He says, when you pray, say, Father, your kingdom come. Not the Democrats' kingdom, not the Republicans' kingdom, not the whoever's kingdom. And there's a lot of people trying to make this into some of that kind of kingdom building. It's not about that. Your kingdom come, Jesus. You are the just king. You are the only one who's going to bring us justice. You are the only one who has control of this situation. And we pray that you would bring your kingdom on earth, in St. Paul, in Minneapolis, as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread as we cry out for it. As we, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we, we talked about earlier this, this year about how Jesus' temptation was to look, use his power for his own protection, for his own provision, and for his own power and position. And all of us want to use what we have for those things. We have to turn spiritual power, financial power, manpower, whatever we got, towards serving others, towards serving Jesus. And that can make a difference. But we have to do it in partnership. So um, <clears throat> one of the things that was said in that, um, that time, the, uh, I won't say everything that, that the African-American brothers said, but they said it's a marathon. And, you know, they're assuming that most of us are going to drop out. We're going to march for a week, a month, and... Uh, put some stuff on Facebook, and then we're going to move on. It's going to take a marathon. And you know what? I want to encourage you as Bethel Christian Fellowship. I believe God has prepared us. I believe God has put us in a place to be able to do things. God has been speaking to us for decades about this stuff. God has been building relationships in our city for decades. God has brought us the All Nations Family of Churches. God has made us a diverse congregation with people from all over the world in every race and every um, lots of different languages because he wants to show his kingdom coming. He wants to show love and joy and peace. He wants us to radiate life where there is death and joy where there is sorrow. Not, not, not joy like happy, like it's all good. Joy can have lament in it. But God has prepared us. Even the stuff we've been preaching, um, even the stuff we've been talking about, treasuring one another across race and cultures. That was 2016. We talked about being resilient in the face of suffering back in 2016. We talked about trusting God. We talked about rebuilding trust. You, do you realize how we have torn apart trust? We talked about that for two years. We, we say we don't trust the government, don't trust the media, don't trust those, those people. 
um, and, and, and don't trust the Republicans, don't trust the Democrat, don't trust the governor, don't trust the president, don't trust, don't trust anybody. And then we want people to trust us. We want people to obey us. <laughs> How are we going to do that when we've torn it down? Well, we're going to do it by rebuilding trust. First of all, we've got to be trustworthy. We've got to be trustworthy. We've got to admit our mistakes when we do things wrong. We've got to, we've got to do better. And we, we have to um, do what we can to build trust. And we have to encourage people to trust things. Now, this is an election year. And the easiest way to do elections is to tear down the opposition. But when you do that, you tear down the opposition. <laughs> and you just torn down, you just tear each other down. And then where are we? Everything's torn down. Literally now. Because we've lost trust. But we have to take the hard work to build partnerships, build relationships, build our city, build our churches based on trusting God, because only he has the power to make this happen. We know that. We can't do it on our own. And I'm sorry, um, other people think they can do it with uh, politics or, or uh, some other way, but I really believe Jesus is the only way. Now, it's, it's got to be in partnership with the governor and the mayor and whoever else, and they're actually reaching out to us now. Um, so I, I was impressed that the mayor went to that march and didn't say anything and brought his family, and I happened to talk to him a little bit on his way out. He's a person of uh, who believes in Jesus, and it was great to, to be there. Um, so let me just say that Jesus forgives us, and he calls us to forgive. Now, I'm not going to go there in calling us to forgive, because I think this is not the moment yet. <laughs> we need to get there, but um, right after the rape, you don't talk about uh, forgiveness. We need to get there. and and uh, But we have to acknowledge the pain and what's happened first. Count the cost. Total up what it's going to cost to replace the businesses. Total up how do you replace a life. Um, and then... We need to work on how do we pay that? How do we turn that over? How do we pay back? Um, so I want, to, I want to tell you something. Jesus, Jesus is powerful. He has power we do not have. We saw all of our power. We've seen it stripped away, our illusions of control. We, we don't have power over coronavirus. We didn't have power over our streets. We don't have power over um, a lot of things. But Jesus is powerful. He is also present, present in all of this with us. And he is passionate, powerful, present, and passionate. What do I mean by passionate? Well, he feels our pain. He felt it on the cross in a way that none of us has quite felt it that badly. He feels it physically. He feels it in his gut. He said says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. His guts hurt because they were like sheep without a a king is what it's talking about. They didn't have good leadership. He, he feels it for us. So we need to pray. That's where we got to start. Pray is powerful because it connects with Jesus, who's powerful, present, and passionate. We need to connect with his heart. What is he feeling now? I know we're all talking about what we're feeling. What is Jesus feeling? What sorrow? What anger? What compassion what how how does he feel and you know we have 
I talked about us being a cut flower society because our roots are gone. Our roots need to go down into Jesus. As Bethel Christian Fellowship, we talk about a, a rose or a crocus breaking up through the pavement in a desert and, and blooming. That's because of roots. Ephesians 3 talks about roots that go down into the love of God. We've got to experience God's love so we can share God's love with everybody. If we don't experience God's love, we will not be able to share God's love. So our roots have to be going deeper and deeper and deeper. And I've been impressed with the people I've been talking to at Bethel Christian Fellowship and how in this time, your roots have been going deeper and you're amazingly resilient in this time. I am impressed. I'm impressed with the way you've been cleaning up the neighborhoods and making face masks and do, doing all kinds of things to reach out, to pray, to persevere. So praying is a huge thing. Perseverance is another thing. We need to persevere. This is a marathon. Now, we meant, now I'm stealing this from Pastor Jim. He said, we need to lament and we need to repent of what we have done and we need to foment. And I'd encourage you to watch the ICF sermon to find out what he means by that. But we need to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted and we need to do what we can. So I want to encourage you to take a knee not in just some symbolic, but take a knee to surrender to Jesus. Take a knee to pray to Jesus. Give him your life. Give him your city. Give him your anger, your needs. Take a knee. Present your anguish, whatever you're feeling, your fear. That's one experience I don't think God does feel is fear. Well, maybe he did in the garden, but uh, he's not afraid because he's in control. Um, but he knows. He feels our fear. Take a need to surrender to Jesus. Take a need to submit to each other and to wash each other's feet because that's what Jesus did. He took a knee to wash other people's feet and said, you want to be great? This is how you do it. You serve one another. And it's going to be, let me tell you something, it's going to be simple things with no cameras and no um, big crowds that you can walk along. A lot of it's going to be just simple things doing for a neighbor, just calling somebody up, just saying, how you doing? Praying for somebody and not even telling them you prayed for them. Praying for our city, praying for our communities, and not even talking about it, but talking to God about it. Praying through your anger and praying for justice and partnering. So Nehemiah, we talked about Daniel 9 and how he, he uh, prayed we and confessed his sin. Nehemiah 1, he hears this terrible report about how the walls are broken down and he prays with passion and confession for what we as a people have done and the exile that we deserved and how even my family and me, he says, are guilty of it. He prays deeply and then he prays and give me favor with this man. And he, he prays that in his position and the influence he has, he would be able to have favor to ask a favor of the king to do what's needed. So he combines prayer and planning and work and going after a big project that's needed. He partners with the people who are there and with the king. He uses his influence. So it's going to take prayer and perseverance and purpose, planning, um, and, and just doing stuff. Um, I don't have any specific recommendations. Of course, we're taking an offering for the uh, Be the Church One Fund, which is going to go to support African-American churches. 
and the works that they're doing. We, we had already planned that because of the COVID hit on those churches and those communities. And uh, boy, this is more of a, we'd planned that for weeks, but this is all the more reason for us to do that now. And to, there's also on the Be The Church, hashtag Be The Church Minnesota, there's a lot on there about volunteer opportunities as well. We've been sending out things about volunteer opportunities, things you can do. But I want to ask you, don't just do a flash in the pan to uh, make yourself feel better. And then, you know, if the streets are peaceful and I did my bit and I cleaned up the glass and we're good. But find something, pray about it, and pray until God gives you one thing, one thing that you can persevere in doing. One thing that you can just keep at. One relationship that you can learn from and, and develop and deepen. You know, I don't have any magic solutions <laughs> for this, but God is God. Jesus knows your pain. He knows your anger. He knows your grief. He knows all of that. He feels where you're at in a way that I can't. He feels where I'm at, even in my confusion and disorientation and anger and guilt and shame. Um, he knows that. He feels that. And he has made a way through a very costly taking the knee and serving until the powers said enough of that. And they crucified him. He asked you to take up your cross and follow him. Follow him, take up the towel and the basin and serve. Powers might not like it. You might have some pushback. But I just want you to take a knee to surrender to Jesus. Take a knee to wash each other's feet. And I want us to be us. I want us to be one church. And I want us as one church to, to serve this one city and be combined with them in all the ways that they are. And I thank you for each of the ways that you're doing it. Those of you who are teaching your kids online, those of you who are teachers online, those of you who are going out and, uh, and ministering to the people who nobody else can touch, who are dying from coronavirus, those of you who are just persevering through your own coronavirus, those of you who are just doing the little thing that you do, calling a neighbor, calling a friend, calling a family member, and praying, please, please pray. If you're from St. Paul, pray for St. Paul. If you're not from St. Paul, pray for St. Paul and Minneapolis and the Twin Cities. We need prayer. Um, and we're no longer ashamed to admit it. Um, so I, let's pray right now. Lord, we pray that you would be powerful, present, and passionate among us, that we would recognize your power, your presence, your passion, and that you would enable us to lament, to repent, to be free Thank you that you died for us, to free us from the powers, to free us from our own sins, to cleanse us. God, thank you that your grace is so big, so big, that we can confess our sins and know that you are faithful and just because you took the punishment. You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You punished the guilty, but you put our punishment on Jesus, and so we can be forgiven. God, we want to reach out to people. We want to reach out to people who are just people <laughs> in every circumstance, whether they're marginalized or they seem to be doing well. We are woven together in one fabric, and we need your Holy Spirit to blow and push back the waters, to blow and fill our dead 
bodies with your life. We want to say we can breathe because you have breathed your life and your spirit into us. And we together can breathe again. As Ezekiel saw after the exile, that field of dry bones. God, we pray that you would breathe in, that you would pull them together in muscles and sinews and bodies, and then that you would breathe your Holy Spirit into us in what we see as a, a valley of dry bones. Pull it in and, and, and raise up our youth. Lord, we remember 1968 and riots and flu, and, and yet soon, a few years later, there was a Jesus People movement that was a great revival, one of the, maybe the best we've had in recent years. God, we pray that you would send that kind of revival, that breathing again of your life and your spirit and your joy, your forgiveness, your spirit's power that we might be witnesses and be the church in our city and around the world in this next week. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.